Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and thank you for plugging in and taking us with you wherever you're off to or whatever you're up to. That is, after all, one of the pleasures of the podcast. and We don't have to demand all of your time. You can get on your bike, on your train, plane, or just go for a walk in the park, and we'll be there by your side, or at least in your ears. Well, Saitora is well-known in London and increasingly in the US too as providing analytics for insurers. It was founded back in 2014 and has some well-known clients, including Allianz, Beasley, and Markel. And this is another company that's made the transition from startup to scale-up. Richard Hartley is CEO and co-founder, and I've known him since the early days of Saitora. And in this episode, you will discover why the company pivoted from its original premise of sourcing data to help with commercial underwriting pricing to a new solution, which is making underwriters' lives better, improving, as Richard puts it, how information glides through companies. Well, keep listening, and I know you're going to find something useful in here. We're going to find out why Saitora made its pivot and how Richard and his team refocused the business when they realized that it's not a lack of data that is often holding insurers back, but too much data and data that's hard to organize. And if you're wondering when insurers should be making decisions to buy versus build their own technology, well, we'll be covering that too and some of the differences between those of you in the US and those of you in the UK, well, at least as far as insurance goes. And what about hiring? Is it better to go and find people with fresh ideas from outside the industry or tap into the experts from within? Well, Richard's tried both and he's got some advice on that too. And we're going to find out which insurance company and Saitora client has a goal of getting 80% of its insurance submissions managed with straight through processing, untouched by human hands. And finally, you can't do everything. So how do you say no to your client? All that in 30 minutes. Well, that's pretty good value, I reckon. And if you like what you're hearing, please tell us, or better still, tell your friends. And if you're not yet a corporate member and wondering what you're missing, then please contact me, Matthew Grant on LinkedIn, or any of us. Hello at instec.co. Okay, here's Richard. Great to have you. We've bumped into each other a few times, but we haven't actually spoken on the podcast for almost three years. So really looking forward to catching out. A lot's been going on, but everything else all right for now? Great to be here. I'd be really excited about doing this for a while. You were one of our early, early vanguards of kind of pushing us into the insurance space when we first met. So there's a lot, lot we can talk about since then. Wow, a big responsibility. I'm just going to give the quick update and then we'll start talking a bit more about what things you've been doing and also looking forward to some of the lessons you might have for other people. So you're co-founder and CEO of Saitoria, founded back in 2014. So that's almost nine years. I don't think we can still call you a startup on that basis. Based in London, but you've got clients around the world hearing a bit more about those. And you describe your offering as a platform for digitizing workflow. So we're going to talk a bit more about that. Raised over $40 million in funding. And I believe you've got about 50 people now in the company. Anything I've critical I've missed off on, on that? So yeah, it's kind of, we're really focused on, on commercial insurance. We're now very global. We've really been on a curve of accelerating towards cash flow positivity, which is, is something I'm probably most proud of because I think it's kind of a real achievement, you know, when you kind of realize you're kind of making money as, as, a, as a startup. But yeah, there's been a lot of learnings along the way and be good to get into more, more detail on those across, across the course of the conversation. Well, I mean, congratulations on that one about moving towards cash flow positive. I think we've probably got a little bit too focused on large funding rounds excuse the pun, but at the cost of really understanding where people are, are driving value and testing out their propositions by who are paying them. And I think at some point, you know, every every company has to start generating 
revenue and positive earnings as well. It's a, it's a big sort of <laughs> what the investors want, frankly. So yeah, we're talking a bit more about that. So I mentioned before we did speak back in February 2020, actually, episode 68. You've got 946 downloads for those. So a bit of nudging, you might just get your 1,000 fans award. Sure, we'll break it, but we'll get above that for this one. But I just want to start off with the, the way you described yourself. So a platform for digitizing workflow. We can talk a bit about what that is, but I guess pretty helpful just going right back to the fundamentals. What problem have your clients got that you're, you're now solving for them? The insurance industry is obviously a huge industry. It has a very vital social purpose of kind of moving risk away from businesses that don't want it to capital efficient financial markets. The reality, though, is the frictional cost of moving risk is extremely high. And that's really driven by the fact risk moves in, in, in an analog way. And, you know, people in insurance companies and brokers and reinsurers, they work on, on risk in a very manual way. So they are receiving emails, they are entering data into systems, they're doing that repeatedly. So that is a problem we're trying to solve. We're trying to drive down the frictional cost of insurance so that risk can glide or flow like a, a kind of paper airplane or a stream. That for us is, is how you can really change the economics of insurance. So that, that's what our product does. It digitizes the core workflows of insurance companies that helps them write more risk without adding cost. And it, it really transforms the experience of being an underwriter because they don't have to spend all their time entering data. They can actually make decisions and judgments on risk. I love that concept of the data gliding <laughs> happily through the different parts of the insurance value chain. I think it's a great aspiration to have for, for everybody. Good. Of course, that's not where you started off the business. When we first got to know each other, you were looking at ways of extracting data from public sources to help underwriters make decisions around pricing. Can you just talk a bit about what happened with that sort of first proposition and, and how did that sort of lead you to, I guess you'd almost call it a pivot into what you're doing now? So you're right. Our, our focus initially was on capturing large amounts of external data and using that to help improve risk selection and pricing. And we realized kind of it's an important area. You can you can bring additional insight to risk. You can help underwriters make better judgments about risk. But really, I think it has a limited impact unless that is coordinated with the broader risk information that underwriters are, are receiving from, from brokers. So one of the big changes we made to the product is we said we're going to be radically agnostic about the type of data. It could be external. It could be internal it can be in a submission, it can come from an external data API. We're going to build a platform that is radically agnostic about that, data, that type of data. And if we can build that product, then we can have a bigger impact on actually changing how risk flows end to end. Like For example, we can help an insurance company recognize an out-of-appetite risk, and we can move that to a different place. We can help them recognize a low-complexity risk that can be straight through process without having to you know, absorb finite underwriting capacity. So on a technical basis, we think about that in terms of you need to fully specify the risk with all of the information that's required to make a decision. And if you can do that, then you can really drive an impact end to end. We kind of made that product decision in 2020. It was a tough period because we changed the product. Uh, it was in the context of covid we built, I think, a, a much more valuable product that, crucially, we can generate scalable revenue from, and that's allowed us to grow the company globally. But also, in a way, I guess you're challenging one of the big sort of rallying cries has been around 
you know, some of the shifts in insurance you know, and across across lots of different technology, which is like, you know, data is king or data is the new oil. But yeah, I think what's really interesting what you're saying is actually when you really looked at where the value was and therefore where people were going to spend money on you, it wasn't going after the data. It was improving processes and creating efficiencies, which sometimes people can look at that and go, well, that's not very exciting. Is that even innovation? But just to take a step back, not just from what you learned, but what you're seeing across the industry as a whole, and maybe even you know, advice to somebody else coming in, looking for where to go to the opportunities. Is how do you sort of think about that you know, in, in the broader sense, not just what you've seen from Saitora's perspective? I didn't work in insurance beforehand. So like I've had to learn about the real problems and I've had to learn how to tell the difference between a problem that is maybe superficial versus a really acute and urgent problem to solve. That's definitely taken me, I think, a long time. You know, I think one of my early assumptions was insurers don't have enough data. And my learning today is they actually have lots of data, like too much data to actually use. The problem really is how to integrate that data and how to synthesize the data and use that to operationalize digital risk flows off the back of it. Because the reality is insurers have lots of data, it's very siloed, and it's not used in operational processes. So we've really kind of taken a premise, which is we want to help them operationalize data and use that to, to create, deploy digital risk flows end-to-end across on underwriting in areas like new business, renewals, MTAs, but also beyond underwriting as well. And, and that is a problem that I think took us a while to spot, but it's a big problem to solve, and it's a the problem, you know, customers are willing to pay millions of pounds for a year, which has allowed us to build a, a valuable company and not be reliant on venture capital to kind of, you know, exist. And and that took us four or five years to figure out, but it's it's something I think we, we know to be true today. And what about that also distinction between what an insurance company might see as its own strategic advantage or competitive advantage, you know, where they would go and look to employ their own data scientists or build their own product versus where insurers are comfortable outsourcing the technology, supporting Saitora, for example, knowing that their peers and competitors are doing that. I think that's also been a bit of a focus for you, hasn't it, in terms of how you've looked to see where you can generate value for the business. Insurance companies are building a lot of stuff themselves. They're doing a lot of stuff themselves. So if you're competing with them in, in an area, you're never going to build a large and scalable business. So we've, we've focused on the problems that we think are not the core IP of insurance companies, yet they are crucial to them becoming digital organizations. I think this is true of a lot of companies where you kind of have to be honest with yourself on that point because if you're competing with your addressable market, it's going to be a much harder challenge to build a valuable company in that space. And then still on this topic of insurance companies, you've got some fairly large organizations that are publicly named as clients, Markel, Allianz, Beasley. What's your advice to organizations that are selling technology into insurance companies about how to successfully find your way through these organizations. Yeah, and I think what you've done is both found a, a senior sponsor there, but that's not the end of the story, is it? You actually need to find someone that can that can actually own the implementation or take it to the next stage of actually making, making or turning the vision into the reality for the company. Yeah, it's, it, I think both are crucial. I think you have to have a compelling vision that is exciting to people at the top of organizations and they view that as a, as a strategic opportunity that they want to prioritize. So, so I think that kind of ability to really ignite people's kind of interest and belief in a direction is, is crucial, especially when you're a startup, because CEOs have so many different 
options, so many choices to make. So you have to really stand out. At the same time, I think execution is enduring. So you have to be able to execute and deliver real success in deployments to actually prove that you are worthy of them working with you and becoming a partner. And it is a very large industry, but it's also a very small industry in many parts. As, as you know, it's kind of, there are not that many companies within insurance. They're all very large and it's very collaborative. So if you really deliver value, they'll recommend you and they'll give you introductions. And all of those companies you mentioned and others have actually introduced us to their peers. You know, so, so they're actively helping us scale, but it, it's really because we are very driven by value creation. One learning we've made is that actually to focus less on some of the glittering lures of venture capital and funding rounds and focus more on value creation for customers. Because if you do create value that is measurable, the funding rounds will take care of themselves. And that's been, I think, a real learning for us in the last three or four years. You mentioned a comment in there about, I think you said execution is in, enduring. Can you just explain a bit what you mean by that? You know, most transformation projects and insurance companies fail. So when we often encounter potential new customers, they have not had positive experience buying technology. You know, they often struggle to evaluate technology. They struggle to deploy technology. They often, a year on from a deployment, struggle to see value. So if that is the case, your biggest differentiator is to create, for example, day one value is to show that you know, a month after deployment, you've created hundreds of thousands or millions of, of dollars in value. So one reason we changed our product is we only wanted to be a company that was doing that. I, I don't think intellectually you can be honest about your legitimate role in innovation. It's sometimes hard to be kind of honest on that point because it, it does cause you to, to change your product. It causes you to revise your assumptions and and all of those things are painful i think at, at a personal level but they are vital for a company to be successful yeah it's that use of metrics i mean all kpis or key performance indicators we hear about and sometimes they can be seen as a bit old-fashioned and i think we're also seeing now when people again are sort of thinking more carefully about or, or always thinking carefully but maybe more challenged about how they're spending money just now is you, you kind of need to justify that so yeah it's certainly be interesting to know more a little bit about the specifics around that but the other thing i've noticed you've also got quite a lot of partnerships now with data providers, including We Analyze, JBA, TensorFlight, Security Scorecard, Moody's and RMS, and, and Kind. I'm also delighted that most of those companies are also members. What, what's the thinking behind what, what you're doing with these types of organizations? Well, there's been a huge proliferation, I think, of, of data providers and data insight providers. And that is, I think, a huge opportunity for, for insurance companies because it helps them get a more granular understanding of risk and exposure. They can better select and, and price that. The challenge, though, is the marginal cost of integrating a new data source is very high. It takes a long time. It's often integrated into a silo where the actual use of that data source is very low, it's very patchy, it can't be reused. So we are building a platform where it comes pre-integrated with all of the data sources that you would want to, to use. That helps insurance companies because they don't have to pay money to integrate data sources on a one-off basis. It really drives down that incremental cost of data integration. And often that, that's an excess of £100,000 for an insurance company. So it really solves that problem. At the same time, it helps the data providers get access to the insurance company. So last year, we doubled the number of insurance customers we have. This year, we've doubled the number of insurance customers we've had. Our, our revenue has increased eight times in the last 24 months. 
So I like to think we're helping these data providers actually get access to insurance companies and have an impact in their risk flows without having to go through a huge sales cycle of you know, nine to 12 months. That's a small you know, cross-section and, and some very good companies in there. But yeah, you know, the great thing about that, once you start going down that route, there are literally hundreds of companies that you, you potentially can connect up. And, and I guess this make the savings directly because if somebody's already working with a data provider, as you said, you're incorporating the cost saving or you're building out the cost saving through those better integrations. And yeah, anybody that can't provide an API these days probably shouldn't be providing a service. Hi, I'm Tara, one of the research analysts at Instech. Our next digital event, the SME Cybersecurity Toolkit, How to Manage and Mitigate Emerging Cyber Risks, will take place on the 26th of January at 2 p.m. The event will be chaired by Paul Merry from KPMG and will feature speakers from Beasley, Cybercube and Cowbell. The speakers will be discussing cyber risk quantification, methods of providing protection to SMEs and what the future of the market will hold. You can register for the event now by visiting instech.co forward slash events. And then just to change your direction a bit, Richard, in terms of like hiring people, it'd be interesting just now as you look at all the sort of challenges to hire the right people and to retain them. So what have you done, particularly given that you've been through the pivot and you know, it's been some challenging times, how have you managed to both identify and then retain the people you need to, to grow the business? In retrospect, I think it's the most important thing to have the right team. You know, you have to have a team who are passionate about the problem. They're really committed. They have a large amount of grit and endurance to actually solve the problem. And, you know, one of the shifts we've made is to try and build a team that has the right complexion of domain expertise. So people who have been really deep inside the insurance industry, who really understand the constraints and nuances, the subtleties but also the, to combine that with the technologists who can build a scalable product. So I think that's one of the learnings. I think another learning is, is, you know, really understand what you don't know and where you have gaps very early on. Three or four years ago, for example, we realized our customer success team really had to be all from the insurance industry. Like people who had worked in underwriting operations, for example, or underwriting, and they could really understand the subtleties and the differences and they could communicate the importance of matching a business activity to a low-level SIT code and kind of why that mattered for being able to automate out-of-appetite risks. Like it's that specifics that I think have really helped us and it's meant that we've achieved a high level of deployment success. But back in 2018, we didn't have that composition of team. We had a team that was mostly people who were excited about new technology and excited about a startup. So that's, I would say, one of the biggest learnings we've had is, is really you need a balanced team and you need different, different strength areas to be successful. And I think the other part that's sort of implicit in that, but worth mentioning, is that those people are often acting as advisors to your clients and actually helping them figure out what the problems are and how to solve it. And so they've been there, they know what to look for. You can have someone who's really smart and they can work alongside the practitioners, but just on their own, it's very difficult to really know how to help an insurance company. And then I think, fortunately, we've moved on from those sort of early stages of disruption of you know, stories. People, and I'm sure it's never happened at Saitora, but you're going into insurers and telling them they got it all wrong and how they, you know, how they were going to change the world. But yeah, it's still tough to get those people. But it is good. I mean, but you've got, you've got Juan de Castro, you've got Matthew Churchill, you've got people who have come in from well-respected insurance companies who've now you know building the next stage of their career at Saitora. So clearly you are able to attract the right kind of people in there. 
You asked earlier about like how we, how we've been able to kind of reach insurance companies and navigate the organizations. I think that's one of the things that I would highlight, which is you kind of at the highest level you need people who can introduce you to you know C level executives. So we built an advisory board to help us with that, who are all ex CEOs from the insurance industry, brokers, insurers. And at the same time, we try to build a very credible customer success team who can really be credible with skeptical underwriters on will it work? When will it create value? How can it scale? You know, can it scale across all of my workflows or just one? So we've, we've realized that combination is a crucial one for us to scale and be successful. You've now got a presence in the US and you've got somebody on the ground in the US. What are your kind of, you could have a discussion just on this alone, but yeah, some of your key observations about the differences of rolling out or selling technology into the US versus in the UK. The US, I think, is, is ahead of the rest of the world, I think, in just their like understanding of technology and the value it can create and their willingness to adopt it. So I think it's a more competitive market. It's an, an area where, where you're seeing much more, I would say, nuance in how underwriters are thinking about operating models. There's it's clearer lines being drawn around okay, we are a digital first specialty insurer and this is how we are going to build a business, which is all about, you know, maybe only only underwriters working on risks where required or by exception. I think that kind of paradigm is becoming very clear in the US and there's been some big successes in a startup arena there, companies like Coalition or AppBay, which are really driving this kind of digital first model, which has been emulated by by incumbents. And then I think you have you have other models that are different from that, which is, I guess, more on the mid-market and the large commercial end. So I, I think we're starting to see these, I would say, a slight disembedding happening in the US where you have these different paradigms becoming more and more clear. And I think that's a good thing because it, it will it will drive more clarity around how to create advantage or competitive advantage as an insurance company and what the different strategies are. That's one of the things I, I noticed in the US is more clarity around the, the type of insurance company that is being created. And then... You're no stranger to podcasts yourself. You've got your own Making Risk Flow podcast, which is hosted by Juan de Castro. And actually, we delighted to release one of the, the episodes recently. We thought it was a really good example of talking about what insurers are doing, in that case, Beasley and, and Mark Albert. That's they're quite a lot of work to produce a podcast, as we know. You've got a lot going on. What was the motivation behind having your own podcast series? It was really, I think, to help educate our customer base and potential customer base around how technology could help them. The more you can learn about something, generally, the better you'll get at evaluating it, the better you'll get at actually doing the thing. And I, I think sometimes with technology, it's really hard, you know, to actually understand <laughs> kind of what do I need? How do I use it? How do I make sure it's successful? And you kind of think about the resources you have for that. It's the internet, which is generally, you know, superficially fine, but you don't really get into real depth. You have your peer groups who you can you can learn from. But we thought the more we could help peers learn from one another, that would be really helpful. So we called it Making Risk Flow because that's really what we're about. But we're trying to build a very neutral content destination where it's not just about Saitoro, it's really about how you can make risk flow in any area of the insurance industry through the value chain. And we've tried to bring people together. Recently, I think Bronick, who is the ex-group CEO of, of Hiscox, did an episode talking about PPL and you know why he focused on that, the impact that's had, the future of PPL. And Hopefully, it's an educational resource that people can get value from. Oh, fascinating. I mean, so those, those who don't know PPL, that's the, the Lloyd-supported system for risk placement. And Bronick, in addition to his previous role as 
CEO of, or Bronick Masayada, CEO of Hiscox, was also chairman of, of PPL. Uh, it actually is out there now looking at some other companies to work with. And I think you know, another one of your Hiscox uh, former employees, <laughs> friends of Saitora. And then just sort of another question around insurers, but we're asked quite frequently actually by insurers or actually also by other people working with insurers, how should an insurance company make themselves effective when working with early stage companies, you know, both from an investment perspective, but also when they're bringing organizations in to support the businesses? What would be your advice and request to people in those roles? In our experience, it's to identify and properly evaluate the companies you want to work with, but then really invest in that relationship. And it's also incumbent, I think, on the technology company or, or InsurTech to really commit and deliver. And I mean, for us, that means saying no to a lot of things because you can't say yes to everything and expect everything will, will be successful. So I think we've really tried to prize in the last three years, like customer success, that that's our number one company priority. It's every year, it's our number one goal. And we, we prefer to prioritize success of deployments over new customers when there's a trade-off to be made. But I think you need, the leadership teams of insurance companies need to commit to partners and give them a chance to prove that they can help them and be successful and then really double down on that. I think the, the anti-pattern I've seen sometimes is doing multiple POCs, a lack of commitment to the POC, a lack of commitment post-POC and, and a very highly experimental kind of mindset, not enough credibility in the business to get to a deployment and then not enough grit and determination to turn the first deployment into the next 10, the next 100 deployments. And, you know, in, in, our, in our customer relationships, we've often seen real grit and determination on the part of our sponsors to make it work. Uh, I think, I think that's, that's crucial. But it's also, I think, on the startup to, to actually create value, as I said at the beginning, I think that's also crucial. With VC in insurance companies, the model I believe works best is when you have someone who is deeply credible in insurance who then takes on the role of leading investments. I think it's much harder for an external VC to be bolted on to an insurance company and then try to gain adoption in the business. I think often that gets rejected and it's seen as kind of interfering. So the model I think works is when you, when you take someone with a lot of institutional credibility and, and you empower them to, to be successful. So Richard, looking out into, into the year ahead, you've got a pretty good perspective on what's been happening been around now you know, eight years or nine years. What do you think are the major themes that the insurance industry is going to be thinking about next year? Yeah, it's obviously relative to different parts of the market, but something we're seeing is a real progression in the performance of technology to support different objectives. So let me give an example. We're working with Beasley. Beasley have a goal to straight through process 80% of the risks they receive across their core lines of business. That, that is a kind of a real progression, I think, from a couple of years ago, that, that kind of ambition and that kind of operating model as a company, which is very, very much a kind of digital first objective. I think we'll see more of more and more of that happening in, in the SME and, and lower mid-market space. In SME, we're also seeing much more interest in, in the embedded insurance model and how to make that work end-to-end. And I, I think there's absolutely the, the kind of challenge of how to reach customers in different platforms but I think the challenge of how to create a connected customer journey with a universal experience is, is definitely a, a problem that technology can help solve. And then we're also seeing much more interest in how you connect different workflows together to create a data advantage, because today they're very, very separate. For example, underwriting workflows are very separate from claims. Midterm adjustments are still done in a very manual way. And, and that means 
the broker experience and the customer experience is very disconnected. So something we're supporting our customers with is helping them connect those workflows and, and draw much more intelligence across them. So you can see you know, changes in claims having an impact on how risks are prioritized at the point of new business. And I think this end-to-end customer journey and how you create unified customer engagement is going to become an increasing area of focus in, in 2023. That's really interesting. And then how does that all or some of that play out into what you're going to be doing, for what you're offering? So our platform today enables insurers to create, deploy and operate dig- digital workflows end to end across the customer journey. In SME, that's about straight through processing risks. In mid-market, that's about creating capacity for underwriters to quote and buy more risks. So we are scaling that across all the core lines of business within specialty and commercial PNC. Most of them are now available out of the box. But we're also scaling it across different workflows. So in, in underwriting, that's new business. It's also renewals and it's midterm adjustments. But it's also in, in, in workflows beyond underwriting. So first notification of loss, other claims workflows. That's a big area of our progression where, where we want to provide a platform that can be configured across multiple areas to really solve the entire risk intake as opposed to just one or two areas. And we're investing a lot of time in product building that out. We're also investing a lot in our partner ecosystem to enable that to be deployed concurrently in different areas of the world. So that's working with integration partners as well. For, for me personally, I've really, I really want Saitora to be able to scale very easily because I think most insurance companies struggle because they have one provider in one area and one provider in another area and a lot of legacy that can't speak to each other. So we are really investing in the ability for the platform to flex across all areas of the business. So that's a big area of focus for us in 2023. So Richard, you're an innovator. So you've very kindly agreed to be the test case for our, our new 2023 elevator pitch. So you've got 15 seconds to give us the one thing you want people to remember about when they remember Saitora as we go down in the lift together, starting now. Saitora accelerates the transition in commercial insurance from manual workflows to digital risk flows, where all of the underwriting capacity is spent on decision-ready, portfolio-enhancing and winnable risks. Insurance companies are able to improve underwriting profit while transforming the experience that brokers and clients get by working with them. Great. Okay, you did that in uh, in less than 15 seconds. Be great catching up and it's a pleasure bumping into you occasionally in, in town as well. So looking forward to seeing more of you face to face and yeah, look forward to catching up again soon now in January. Yeah, it, it was really great uh, chatting with you. And every time I see you in one poultry in London, a smile always kind of always comes across my face. So it's been really great doing this and yeah, looking forward to doing doing more in the future. And for those who aren't familiar, one, one poultry is the WeWorks, not the name of the uh, the, the pub nearby. <laughs> Richard, thank you very much. On that happy note, I'll let you go. And uh, so bye for now. Catch you later. Well, there you are. And it's great to have you here at the finish line. Now, if you want to meet Richard or the team at Saitora, please do let us know. And in addition to our weekly podcast, of course, you can also get our newsletters, reports, and join us at our events. And if you're looking for your next partner or client and wondering how corporate membership of Instec can help, then please do drop us a line, hello at Instec.com co and everything you need to know on the website www.instec.co that's it we're done <laughs>